morning. So take your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 1, and as we get going uh, this morning, uh, if, you're, if you've missed the last couple of weeks, or maybe you're new this morning, we, we've started a study on the book of Revelation, and uh, that's no small uh, endeavor. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's probably one of the most challenging uh, books to study, at least on a Sunday morning. I've asked pastor friends, hey, have you ever taught through the book of Revelation on Sunday morning? And they said, what, are you crazy? <laughs> I mean, who would do that? Who's got enough, you know, who's, who's crazy enough to do that? Well, you know, that's a challenge, <laughs> you know, you tell a guy like me that. Uh, and I'd been praying about this for a couple of months, and I felt like God would have us really spend some time uh, in this book because there's such a uh, tremendous blessing associated with this book. And there are things, certainly, that are difficult and hard and, and even worrisome in the sense of, man, uh, there's going to be judgment and, and, and wrath and all these different things poured out. But, but we've studied this the last few weeks, and what we've learned is that as we open Revelation chapter 1, there's a tremendous blessing associated with this book. As a matter of fact, this book has some, some keys to it uh, and some blessings associated to, to it specifically that no other book of the Bible actually mentions. If you'll look at Revelation 1 and verse 3, as, as God is revealing this revelation to John, he says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And, and I just want to remind you, church, that there is a blessing connected to this book. When you read this book, now, now there's a blessing connected with reading the Bible for sure, generally speaking. You're blessed if you read the Bible. But there's a blessing about this book of Revelation that if, if you'll read it, you'll be blessed. If you hear it, you'll be blessed. In other words, as we go through this series, it's important for you and I, as the church, to have ears to hear what God would have to say to us. It's important for us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God as He speaks to us. And then if we'll keep the things that are written therein, in other words, if we'll grab these truths and apply them to our life, well, God says it's a tremendous blessing. And so as we, as we kind of get going this morning, I want to remind you that this is like no other book of the Bible. It has a tremendous blessing to it. We've, we've exhausted at least the first few weeks uh, the introduction to this. And so let me remind us that last week we started talking about the Apostle John. And we started in verse 9 last week. And let me just read verses 9 and 10. John tells us, he says, I, John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that was called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And, and if you were here last week, we talked about how John is a unique individual in the Bible. He, he is a disciple like no other disciple. He was, he was part of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. But not only that, he was part of the inner three circle, Peter, James, and John, who, who got to hear some things and see some things that the other, the other disciples didn't get to see and hear. One instance of that is the Mount of Transfiguration, where Christ was glorified in their eyes. And, and, and not all the disciples got to see that, but Peter, James, and John got to see that. John is called the disciple who Jesus loved in the book of John. It was John who at the Last Supper, when Jesus was, was telling his disciples, one of you are going to betray me. While all the other disciples are, are asking, is it me? Is it me? I mean, they're all doubting even them, themselves. Is it me? Am I, am I going to be the one that's going to, to de deny you? John didn't ask, is it me? John asked, who is it? 
And the reason John asked, who is it, is because John knew in his heart it wasn't going to be Christ. It wasn't going to be him that denied Christ. It, he didn't know which one of those other jokers it was going to be, man. But John had settled the issue in his heart that it wasn't going to be him. You see, it was John who was the disciple, the only disciple that made it to the foot of the cross. When every other disciple denied Christ, when every other disciple fled for fear and for, the, for their own life, it was John who was standing at the foot of the cross, and John was given the responsibility to take care of Jesus' mother, Mary. And so John was the last person that Jesus Christ saw with his eyes before he gave up the ghost. John's a special dude. He's just a special guy. But when he introduces himself to these the, the, the recipients of the book of Revelation, these seven churches, he just reminds us that he has a very unique relationship with them, with those seven churches. He doesn't call himself the apostle whom Jesus loved and, and the only guy standing at the foot of the cross. He doesn't elevate himself above anybody. He just tells those seven churches as he's writing this, I'm your brother. I'm your brother and I'm your companion. And what that tells us is that God makes the body of Christ, God makes the church family have a need for relationships because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're born again, you're part of the family of God. And just like your physical family, you don't get to pick your family. And, and, and so we ought to appreciate the body of Christ. We ought to appreciate the relationships that we have with each other because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And then John also says that he's their companion in tribulation. In other words... John's kind of experienced some hardships. He's in exile on this island. He, he's, he's been banished for punishment for his stand for the word of God and the testimony of Christ. And he's just letting those churches know, hey, guys, you guys are going through some stuff too. And I want you to know I'm your companion in tribulation. You need people to go through, through life together with. And, and especially if you're going to live the way God intends for you to live, if you're going to follow Christ the way God intends for you to follow him, you're going to need some, some, some companionship because things are going to be hard. Things are going to be difficult. And you, you and I need to appreciate the body of Christ. John had a unique relationship with those churches. And then secondly, last week, we learned his location. And John was in a very unique location as he's receiving this revelation. And the Bible tells us that he's physically on the Isle of Patmos. He's in the Aegean Sea, and, and they banished him to this remote island. But spiritually, he says he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And we took the time last week to say, okay, historically, John is writing this, you know, 90 AD, 90, 85, 90, 100 AD, whatever. He, he's living on this island and writing this revelation at, a, at the first century AD. But prophetically, John is translated, if you will, beyond the year 2000, because what he is seeing is, 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 is the Lord's day. It's the day of the Lord, and that phrase in the Bible is always connected with Christ's second coming, with, with Christ's second coming. And, and again, we'll get into more detail on this in, in a few weeks, but I want you to understand that that's the perspective from which John is writing because he's been translated forward in time. And so when the Lord tells him, I want you to write the things which have been, he's looking backwards from that perspective. And then he says, write the things which are, and he's writing the things that are present based on that perspective. And then he says, write the things which shall be hereafter. 
and he's writing those things based on that perspective. And so, and so John had a very unique location concerning the book of Revelation. How you doing so far? That's all introduction. If you're, if you're, if you're here today and, and all of that's kind of maybe like, whoa, what in the world did I walk into? Well, again, we've been kind of going at this for a couple of weeks, and I just want to I want to give you some maybe tips as we, as we get started uh, this morning. There are two places in the book of Revelation where heaven opens. And, and if you want to just get a real uh, basic handle on how God looks at the book of Revelation and God divides the book of Revelation, we need to pay attention to the two times in Revelation in which heaven opens. In Revelation 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me. And we're going to talk about that voice today. And it said, come up hither, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. And, and, and so in Revelation 4 and 1, the heaven opens, and John is invited to come up. Okay, and that's really important. Now, we're not in chapter 4 this morning, so we're not going to even talk about what that means. So you've got to come back in the next couple of weeks. Okay. We'll be in chapter 4 probably in 2023, okay. But then the second time heaven opens is in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. So in Revelation 4, someone goes up, and in Revelation 19 and verse 11, the Bible says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in judgment uh, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. And so in Revelation 19, heaven opens a second time, and someone comes down. And that someone would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're looking at the book of Revelation, and from John's standpoint on the day of the Lord, the book divides itself into three parts. And, and again, this was part of last week's sermon, so I'm not, the reason that's not in your notes is because we covered that last week, but feel free to screenshot it or whatever. But chapters 1, 2, and 3 are the things that John has seen, and, and he's going to look back from his perspective and see the church age. And then he's going to say the things that are will, will include the tribulation up till the second coming of Christ. And that's chapters 4 to 19. And actually, chapters 4 to 19 give you four different perspectives of that same event. God gave you four, perspective of, four perspectives of his first coming. It's called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you've read the New Testament. And so God revealed his first coming with a fourfold representation or testimony. And God is going to give us a fourfold representation or testimony of his second coming through Revelation chapter 4 all the way through chapter 19. And then John is going to write some things that are going to be hereafter, in other words, after the day of the Lord, which will include the millennium and then the new heaven and the new earth, chapters 20 to 22. But we're not talking all, all that this morning. We're just trying to give you some handles. Are you okay with that? We're just trying to give you some handles as you approach this book. This morning, we're going to go back to Revelation 1, and we're going to look at verses 10 and 11. And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just hear what God has for our church, and then we'll, we'll dismiss in a few minutes. And I, I really appreciate you being here. So let's pray, ask God to speak to us, and then we'll, we'll be done. Father, thank you again uh, for the morning. Thank you for the songs that we sing. Uh, Lord, thank you for the fact that you give us second chances, third chances, fourth chances. God, your grace is sufficient in our life. Uh, God, you have mercy uh, and, and it's everlasting mercy in our life, and, and I'm thankful for that. And, and Lord, wherever we are today, uh, God, only you know that. We, we, we are such a diverse people group in this room and with different stages of life and different spiritual 
maturity levels and different circumstances and different trials and, and things we're going through. But Lord, your word is able to discern between all of that. Your Holy Spirit is able to, to zoom in on our heart uh, and give us individually what we need today. And so, Lord, will you do that? We, we ask that you do that. You speak to us, Lord. We want to hear from you. We want to meet with you today. And I pray that you're glorified through it. We ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Verses 10 and 11, the Bible says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And so as we, we continue through chapter 1, and I, I titled this the third point because this is really continuing from last week, this morning we're going to see John's instructions regarding the revelation. John's instructions regarding the revelation. And I want you to understand that these instructions came from a great voice. As a matter of fact, as John is in the Spirit on the Lord's day, he heard something. And he heard something behind him, and what he heard behind him was a great voice. And as we read that passage, we know that in verse 11, that voice is the voice of, of no other person than the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Christ's voice that is speaking to him, because he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And we cover that in, in previous weeks in verse 8, where Christ is the one that is the Alpha and Omega. And so get this key in your notes. Christ's voice is a great voice, and it ought to have great impact in our life. I mean, listen, Christ, if, if you were to hear God's audible voice today, well, you'd come unraveled. You would absolutely come unraveled. And that's what John heard. What John is hearing is the glorified Christ. And he says that voice wasn't just a whisper. It wasn't a still small voice. He says it was a great voice. It was significant. It was spectacular. It was powerful. It carried with it authority. And if we were to study the Bible, and, and the way you understand the Bible is you compare Scripture with Scripture, and if we were to just say, hey, is there anywhere else in the Bible that God talks about a great voice? Well, we would land all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22, there's the very first reference to a great voice. And in Deuteronomy 5 and verse 2, let me, let me just give you the context. Moses is recounting the giving of the Ten Commandments from God. In other words, he's recounting when God gave him the Ten Commandments audibly, but then God wrote those commandments in tables of stone. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 5, verse 22. It says, the word, These words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount, out of the midst of the fire, out of the cloud, out of the thick darkness. And here's how God spoke. With a great voice. God is speaking. God's giving commandment. This mountain is on fire in the Old Testament. There's a cloud. There's darkness. And what the people hear it's just God casually kind of saying, hey, guys, this, this, this is what you should do. That's not what they heard. What they heard was a great voice. And the Bible says that he added no more, and he, he wrote them in tables of stone 
and delivered them to me. And, and, and the, the context is the giving of the law, the giving of the Ten Commandments. And Moses says, listen, when God spoke, when God spoke those things, it was a great voice because it's the voice of God. Because, because God's words, listen, they're authoritative. Do you, do you understand that, that really all the Bible reveals, and I don't want to be super simplistic here, but all the Bible reveals is that, number one, there is a God. And number two, here's what he had to say. There is a God, and he had something to say. And so when John hears the voice of Jesus Christ, listen, it gets his attention. He considers that a great voice. And, and the second key in your notes is, John considered a Christ voice a great voice because his words are God's words. You see, Christ is God. He is God in the flesh. He is incarnate, God made in the flesh. And again, in verse 11, he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And remember, John was no stranger to Jesus Christ. He walked with him for three and a half years. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He heard Christ teach in his earthly ministry. He was standing at the foot of the cross when Christ said to him, take this woman, she's your mother, Mary, this is now your son. He, he heard those words. He heard Christ teach on the kingdom of God after the resurrection in Acts chapter 1. But when he heard these words, I'm telling you, they were different. They were different because it's Christ glorified, and, and because Christ is God, listen, his words are God's words. And I'm telling you, there's power in God's words. Have you guys studied the book of Genesis at all? We, we had a little small Bible study a couple weeks ago at Collins House and kind of going through the creation account and, and just kind of working through that passage. And, and one of the strongest takeaways from that was, man, God's word has power. It has power. And, and again, I just I threw Genesis 1 and verse 3 on on, on my notes, I think it's on the screen. You know, if you just go through Genesis chapter 1 and underline every time God said something, well, something amazing happened. I mean, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And I'm just telling you that the audible voice of God is a great voice because God's voice is powerful. God's voice has creative power. God's voice is able to bring life from the dead. And light from the darkness. And so God's voice is a great voice. It's powerful. And we're going somewhere with this conversation because John is experiencing the, the great voice of Christ. He understands that it's God's voice that's speaking to him. And then number three, Christ's voice is a great voice because he wants to speak to me. He wants to speak to me. And, and, and can you look on the screen or look in your Bible at Revelation 1 and verse 12? Because when John heard that great voice, he says, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. I mean, I mean, listen, the Lord Jesus Christ is personally wanting to reveal himself to the Apostle John. And because God is no respecter of person, the Lord Jesus Christ wants to personally reveal himself to you. There's a God that has said something and he desires to have a relationship with you. And, and I think we understand, listen, do we, do we remember and realize that words are the key to communication? And communication is the key to any relationship. And if you missed what I just said, you need to ask your wife about that. 
Because words are the key to communication, and communication is the key to any relationship. And Christ desires to show you and I some things about himself from his words. From his words. And listen, we ought to long for that. That there's a God that is creator, maker, sustainer of all things, that has a great voice. And he wants to say something to me. I don't know where you are this morning. I want you to understand God wants to say something to you this morning. And God wants to say something to me this morning. His words are powerful. But he desires a relationship with his creation. And that will change the way we view his word. We'll actually long for that instead of it being a burden to us. We'll long to hear his word. We'll, we'll long to hear his word preached. We'll long to get in the word of God and read it. We'll long to hear it taught to us and learn it because he has something to say to us. The fourth point is this. Listen, Christ's voice is a great voice, and it always demands a response. It always demands a response. And and again, this is just kind of devotional application, but can you go back to that verse 12 for just a second and, and check that out on the screen? You see, when John heard that great voice behind him, John took some action. And the action that he took was that he turned. And what he did was he turned to see the voice. And that's kind of weird. You can't see a voice. Or can you? Uh, I mean, if you and I were writing the Bible, wouldn't we say that he turned to hear the voice that he heard? But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he turned to see. And we'll get to that in just a second. But I want you to understand that John took an action step when he heard God's word. He turned. And that would be the term that that many times we use in the Bible as as the term of repentance. It's turning to God from whatever direction we're heading. When we hear his word, we turn based on what we've heard from his word. That's repentance. Repentance is the right response to Christ's voice. And and let me just give you a few illustrations from from Luke chapter 5 for one. This is a great illustration. Jesus has been teaching uh, from Simon Peter's boat. He's been teaching the multitudes in Luke chapter 5. And when he gets done teaching the multitudes, he tells Simon, hey, we're going we're gonna to launch out the deep. And we're going to let down the nets for a draught. And, and Simon answered to, to Christ, he says, Master, we've toiled all night. And, and no offense, you're the carpenter, we're the fishermen. <laughs> I mean, you stay in your lane, bro. You know, I mean, that's, if you read the, the Greek, it's in there somehow. Okay, uh, that's Jay's interpretation. But, I mean, listen, Peter knew how to fish. And, you know, you could argue, man, Christ was a carpenter. All right, so... Okay, but he's God, right? And he says, okay, listen. He said, let down your nets for a draught. And and Simon answered and said, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. He should have let down all the nets, but at least he let one down. And when he had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. The point is, Peter was the expert fisherman. And yet, he says, nevertheless, at thy word, I'm going to let down this net. I'm going to turn to what you are saying versus what I think I know. That's repentance. 
Psalm 119 and verse 59 says, I thought on my ways, and I turned my feet unto thy testimonies. So the right response to God's word is always a turn. It's always a repentance. It's it's turning toward what you're hearing from God. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, and I told you we'd get back to that voice, that voice of the Lord thing. Well, if you go all the way back in the beginning in the book of Genesis, many of you know the story of Adam and Eve, right? They were created in the image and likeness of God. Uh, They had it made, man. They're in the garden. They got all the food they could ever want to eat. They're walking around naked. I mean, how much better can it get? Okay, man, you are really messed up if you don't think that's like a really good place to be right there. Okay, going to be praying for y'all. It was perfect. And then, you know, the devil showed up and kind of messed it up. And he caused them to question God's love and God's word. And they, they disobeyed God's commandment. And so now they they've, they've fell into sin. The Bible says in Genesis 3 and verse 8 that they heard the voice of the Lord God walking. Again, man, I thought a voice spoke. But here's, here's the voice of the Lord God walking. How can a voice walk? How can John turn to see a voice that's speaking to him? Because that voice is a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And and, and in Genesis chapter 3, it's a pre-incarnate Christ that's walking with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. And here's what the Bible says, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You see, Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking. And instead of turning to his voice and repenting of their sin, they turned from his voice and they hid themselves. Oh, and by the way, they hid themselves among the trees. The Bible says many times that trees are a picture of men. And they were just hiding amongst the crowd. Wrong response wrong response. And so, and so ask this question to yourself as, we, as we're talking about this. And, and think about Adam and Eve, but also think about John. Two different responses to God's word. Am I turning to or turning from God's voice when I hear him? Am I turning to God? Listen, when I hear the word of God, whether it's being taught on Sunday morning or, or Wednesday night, or maybe it's in discipleship, or, or maybe I'm just reading my Bible and I hear God's great voice, How am I responding to that? Am I turning toward that? Or am I like, and that would be like John, and that'd be a positive response. Or am I turning from that, which is also a response, but it's the wrong response. And it it ultimately separates me from a right relationship with God. I'm telling you, John experienced the great voice of God personally in his life. And he wanted it to change his life. He wanted to hear God. He, he desired to spend time with God. He wanted to hear what God had to say to him. If you go, continue going in, in, in that verse, it, it says in, in Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, that that voice was not only a great voice, but that voice was a voice as of a trumpet. It was as of a trumpet. And again, I know a lot of you in this room, man, are, are, are students of the Bible. You're taking ministry tools and training. You're trying to get a handle on that book. That little word, as, is important because it's comparing something that we don't know about to something that we do know about. It's a comparison. It's a, it's a similitude. And, 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 and the words like and as in your Bible are really important words. 
And so John says, listen, this great voice, I don't know how else to give it to you. It's as, as it was a trumpet. And you say, well, uh, what's a big deal about a trumpet? Anybody play trumpet in here? Okay, whatever. I mean, mean, if we got a trumpet up here, you'd probably be like, let somebody, you know, blow on the trumpet. And you'd be like, eh, big deal, whatever. But, But can I just tell you, when you study the Bible, God's got a little bit different perspective on that trumpet than what we think. So again, we've got to go within the Bible and say, hey, what does God say about a trumpet? Because whatever that's like, it's what his voice is like. Does that make sense? And so let's go back to Exodus chapter 19, because, because as John is describing God's great voice, he says it's as a trumpet. And as, as you're looking back at Exodus chapter 19, let me remind you, the children of Israel have gone forth out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness of Sinai. God's giving instruction for the nation of Israel. God's telling Moses, hey, Moses, I'm going to come down to Mount Sinai, and I'm going to meet with you in a thick cloud, and the people are going to hear my voice. And when they hear me talking to you, they're going to believe everything you ever got to say, man, because I'm confirming you, I'm confirming your ministry, but I'm going to talk to you on that mountain. That's That's what God is saying. Look at Exodus 19 and verse 13. This is the first mention of the word trumpet in the Bible. It says, there shall not a hand of it tu- a hand touch it. In other words, God's saying, listen, don't let a- anybody's hand touch this mountain. But he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man. It shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. There's a lot going on here that I don't really get. But I, knew, I know this. God says, listen, when I come to talk to you, here's the boundaries. Nobody better touch this mountain. As a matter of fact, if they do, they're going to die. You don't come up until you hear the trumpet sound long, okay? And again, it's God's presence. And so God says in Exodus 19, you don't come up until that trumpet sounds long. Okay, skip down to verse 16 because it says in Exodus 19, verse 16, it came to pass on the third day in the morning, that's very interesting, that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud. Whatever's happening on Mount Sinai, man, it's loud. It's exceeding loud. And there's this sound of this blasting trumpet. The Bible says so that all the people that were in the camp started singing and dancing when they heard the trumpet. That's not what it says. It says that when they heard the sound of the trumpet, they trembled. And, and Moses brought forth the people out of the camp, listen, to meet with God. And they stood on the nether part of the mount, and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder And louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord God came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. You see, when John tells us in Revelation that God's voice is like the sound of a trumpet, well, it's not just your high school band trumpet, no offense. What, what God's talking about is a trumpet that blasts exceedingly loud and exceedingly long. 
It's a trumpet like no other trumpet. And, and let me tell you how I know that it's a trumpet like no other, no other trumpet. Because when the children of Israel heard it, the Bible says they trembled. They trembled at the voice of the trumpet. And so get that key in your notes. Listen, Israel trembled at the voice of the trumpet. And that, that voice of the trumpet is, is representative. It is literally God's voice being revealed in Mount Sinai. John echoes this again in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. He talks about the first voice which he heard were as it were of a trumpet talking with him. And so this again is God's voice. And, and, and I want to just remind you, God's voice is a personal voice, but God's voice is a powerful voice. And what that means is when you really hear God's word, well, it'll cause trembling in your heart. It'll cause trembling because it's not just man's words. It's God's word. The Bible also says that Israel assembled themselves at the voice of this trumpet. And so get that key in your notes. Israel assembled themselves at the voice of this trumpet. In other words, their purpose of assembling together and hearing this trumpet that was exceeding loud, the purpose was to meet with God. And I don't know why you're here this morning, but God's intention for you to be here this morning is that you would meet with God today. God's intention is that you meet with God and you hear His great voice that is a loud voice and a powerful voice. And listen, when you really understand the Bible, it'll make you tremble because these are God's words. These aren't man's words. These are God's words. How do, how do I respond when I hear the trumpet of God's word in my life? Well, that's a really good question for all of us. How do I respond? Now, we've already looked at one response, and one response is to turn to God's Word or to turn from God's Word. But let me show you a couple of more responses that are, that are right responses in God's Word. The first one is trembling. And, and I'm telling you, Ezra chapter 9, verse 4 says this, Then were assembled unto me everyone that trembled at the words of the God of Israel. Where are those people in the 21st century? Where are the people that say, man, that book is full of God's words and it shakes me to my very core. This is, it doesn't depend on who the preacher is, who the teacher is, who wrote the curriculum. These are God's words. And because they are God's words, it has an effect on my life. It brings about fear and trembling. And if it doesn't, you probably don't think they're God's words. Isaiah 66 and verse 2 says this, For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. Listen, if you want to know how powerful God is, you try to make something out of nothing. You can't even make biscuits without the ingredients. You make the ingredients, then you make the biscuits. And then you invite me over and we'll have biscuit and gravy and talk about it, all right? You can't do it. But God did it because his word has power. And God says, listen, this is the man that I will look to, even to him that's of a poor and a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. You see, God is looking for some men and some women and some children and some students that will tremble at his word, that, that believe that that book contains God's words. 
He's the creator, maker, and sustainer of all things. And listen, his word is authoritative and powerful. Not my word. Not my word. His words. Isaiah 66 and verse 5 says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Do I tremble at God's word? Don't answer out loud. You know, the problem is in our Christianity, our Christianity is a lot like Acts chapter 17. When, when Paul went to, to Athens or, or the Mars Hill, the Athenians, when Paul confronted the Athenians and the strangers in Mars Hill, the Bible says in Acts 17 verse 21 that they spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. I think most Christians are like that in the 21st century. Not you, but just all the other ones. Because modern Christianity is nothing more than Athenian pop culture where we just want to hear some new thing that we've never heard from the pulpit before. Instead of coming to the place where we realize that what we are hearing and experiencing and being confronted with are the very words of the living God. Well, listen, you don't need to hear some new thing at that point. What's the last thing he told you? You might want to hang on the rim on that for just a few minutes. You don't need anything new because he's given you what you need to hear. Do I tremble at his word? Number two, do I assemble at his word? Well, you're either here or you're not. And see, when the word of God is being taught... And God's word is being revealed. It should be like a trumpet that calls the assembly of the saints together corporately. And for those of you live streaming, God bless you, man. I love you. But if you can be here, you need to be here. You see, corporate ministry, corporate assembling is the place for ministry. Corporate assembly is the place for prayer. Corporate assembly is the manifestation of the gifts of the spirit of God that serve the body. You can't serve the body of Christ with your spiritual giftedness if you're not corporately gathered. Corporate assembly is the place where the word of God is communicated with boldness. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31 says, When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And they did that together. And so the word of God, listen, if it's God's word, you and I should have no problem assembling. But when we don't really view it as God's word, we view corporate assembly as optional. Because it doesn't fit my schedule. It doesn't fit my concern with, with COVID. And listen, I'm, I'm not trying to be an idiot. You already think that, but it's okay. I'm not trying to be one. But it is interesting to me that the saints of God have no problem assembling in ball stadiums and at Lowe's and at restaurants and, and everywhere else. But they can't assemble on a Sunday morning in church. It blows my mind. Well, the reason it, it's like that is because we don't really believe we're hearing God's word. You know, and, and the point of our corporate assembly is to, to meet with God. That's the point. The point that we're gathered together is that, is that we meet with God. You know, listen, when I got saved, I got saved at 21, and, and some of you newer, you don't know my story, but, but I, I didn't grow up in church necessarily. We went a little bit, sprinkled on and off, but, but I came to the realization of my sin 
and my need for a savior at the age of 21. And so, you know, a friend of mine shared the gospel with me. I got saved in college and I started going to church uh, in Decatur. And I remember, man, every Sunday I went to church, it wasn't the pastor. It was the pastor, but it wasn't the pastor. And the word of God was so real in that place that every Sunday I felt like God was there. And I walked out of that place a wreck. I'd just gotten saved, and there was so much in my life that needed to become more like Christ. And I would go to that church, man, fearing what I would hear that Sunday, but also wanting to know God more. I'm just telling you, man, it, it, I wanted to meet with God. And, and I remember showing up, man, and there were Sundays because I know how I had lived Monday through Saturday, and I knew Sunday morning, man, the pastor wasn't with me, but the Holy Spirit sure was. And he's been reading my emails. And all of a sudden, man, that missile came from the pulpit, and it blew up right in my face. And only God can do that. And it scared me to death. And then I had a, I had a, I had a, I had a choice to make. Am I going to really hear God's word? Or is that just that preacher preaching preachy things? Well, I, I figured I needed to repent. I wore out that church altar those early years of my life. But then my, I became a, you know, a Christian like most Christians and probably started responding the wrong way to God's word. Those were a few, few years of my salvation, man. As soon as the, as soon as the piano started and, and the invitation started, I just, I just started walking. Like, you don't even have to call for it. I'm headed down to the altar. Leave me alone. I got business to do with God. You're eating my lunch. I can't even get out of here. I can't even breathe, man. You're all over me. But God wanted to have a relationship with me. And I trembled at his word. And I, I didn't always have it perfect, man. But I wanted to be at the place where I could hear about God and learn about God and be changed by the word of God. I don't know what your desire is, but listen, that's God's desire for your life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says this. And here's the key. Here's the key for John. Here was the key for Adam. Here's the key for every one of us. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men. Okay, so Paul had spent some time in Thessalonica, and he's writing back a, a letter to them now, and he, he's just kind of saying, hey, I just want you guys to know, when we were there with you and we preached the word of God to you, you received it a certain way. You didn't receive it as Paul's words or Timothy's words or Silas's words or Barnabas's words. You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, listen, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You see, when you receive God's word as God's word, it has an effectual working in your life. And when you don't receive God's word as God's word, in other words, you receive it as man's words, it won't effectually work in your life. Well, that's just what the preacher says. That's just what Jay says. That's just what Cody says. But you can hear the exact same sermon and say, that's what God says. And that's going to have an impact in my life. 
That's going to change my life and transform my life. All right, let's look at that last point and we're done. Verse 11 ends, and, and, and John is given the instruction, hey, what you see, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. And, and so you need to understand that John is literally seeing firsthand things. This is not a, a vision. This is not a dream. John has been transported spiritually to the Lord's day, and what he's seeing are the literal things that are happening. And so get this in your note. Even in chapter 1, there are seven times that John mentions that he saw some things. And let me just give them to you real quick, and you can just follow in your Bible. Revelation 1 and verse 2, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and all things that he saw. Revelation 1 and verse 10, what thou seest, write in a book. Revelation 1 verse 12, I turned to see the voice. And then later in the same verse, he says, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And then in verse 17, man, I can't wait to get here. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Revelation 1 and verse 20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand are the seven golden candlesticks. And again, at the end of the verse, the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Just a practical point that I want to take away from this, and we're done. But what John saw, he was instructed to write in a book. And that book was to be sent to seven churches. In other words, God's written word was to be carried to the churches. And so get this, get this key in your notes. God's words that are written in a book, well, they're for the churches. Now, I know that means specifically the book of Revelation. But this book is for the churches, which is why we need to teach from this book and preach from this book and read from this book and study this book and communicate from this book. And I know your blanks are done, but don't, don't get to lunch in your mind just yet. Listen, I don't know what you're reading, but if you're not reading these words, you're reading something that probably wasn't written for you. Like, I don't, know, I don't know what you read during the week. I don't know how much time you spend on the Internet. I don't know how many blogs you read or news articles you read or books you read or whatever. But I just want to remind you that these words that are written in this book are for the churches. In other words, these are for you. For you, saved person, saved man, saved woman, saved child, saved teen. These words are for you. And God sent this book to seven churches, one book to seven churches, which is very interesting to me. Those seven churches are independent, autonomous, local New Testament churches in Jesus Christ. God didn't write this book of Revelation and send it to seven Christians, by the way. He didn't send it to seven parachurch organizations. He wrote it and sent it to the churches. So that means for, for me that we as a church need to come together to hear the one thing that God intends for the church to hear, the Word of God. Not opinions, not stories, not videos, not, not public opinion, not jokes. Now, we, we crack jokes. We try. You're a pretty hard crowd. 
But I think at the end of the day, you would agree, we spent a lot of time in the Bible this morning. And the reason we did that is because that's what the church needs. That's how the church grows. And so God wrote to seven specific churches, and I listed those in your notes, or I think I listed them on the screen. Ephesus, the name means fully purposed. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Smyrna, the name means myrrh. Pergamus, the name of that church, means much marriage. Thyatira means odor of affliction. Sardis means red ones. Philadelphia means brotherly love. And Laodicea, the seventh church, means the people's rights or civil rights. It is interesting to me, as you go through the New Testament, as you get through the book of Acts, outside of the pastoral epistles, God writes to churches. As a matter of fact, all of Paul's epistles, except for those to to pastors or ministry leaders, are to seven churches. The saints at Rome, the saints at Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica. You say, why is that important? Because God's great voice is for the church. And it's for you as an individual Christian. And listen, if you hear God's word, well, it demands a response. And and I don't know what, again, I don't want to try to know every situation, every scenario. But here's what I do know. Whatever situation or scenario you find yourself in, God has a word for you. And, And when you hear God's word, It ought to make you tremble, and it ought to make you fear, and it ought to make you turn to him. Not run from him. Not run, hide yourself amongst the trees, or hide yourself in the chair at church, but turn to him. Turn to him, because he wants to have a relationship with you. Amen? All right, let's pray.